early in the week, we were working through um, some changes, some adjustments we needed to make in our teaching rotation for Franklin and Brentwood, and uh, it, it provided an opportunity, if I could say this, that affords us to actually do something that I'm glad we, we get to do, a little, little bit out of the ordinary and, and, and not planned this way originally. Rather than stepping right out of our Easter series into uh, the book of Genesis, which is where we're going, the book of Genesis and the story of Abraham, chapters 12 through 25, Um, which picks up where we left off in 2010 when we covered 1 through 11. We're going to do a post-resurrection Sunday. And I'm I'm, I'm glad I I get to do this. And by the way, I'll be back again next week to open up our study once again of Genesis with a review of Genesis 1 through 11 and launches us into the Abraham series. But today we're going to look back. We're going to actually turn and look back at the events of uh, Easter morning in Mark's gospel as Rob taught them uh, last weekend. But we're going to look with a little bit of a different lens. And it's going to be a lens that turns our attention from celebration to proclamation. And it actually makes this connection, as I'll say uh, several times through the message it takes the historical fact of the resurrection and makes it personal. It actually makes it a world-changing event. You already know this. We've been in this walk that changed the world for four weeks. Well, we started in Mark chapter 11 when Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem for the very last time. And he turned his face there to go and die and be raised again. But the reality of Christ's death and resurrection does not change anything. That kind of sounds strange, but it really doesn't change anything until it becomes a personal reality. See, it's a historic fact, it's true, but it changes nothing in the world until it becomes personally true for you and for me. Um. Before we dive into this gospel account in Mark and we see three women who made a trip to the empty tomb, well, that walk changed their world. Before we do that, I want to, if I can, offer you and tell you the story of how this walk changed my life. I grew up in a military home. And I'm a military brat, army branch. I, when I say a military home, I, everyone in the room that's grown up this way knows that the, the word of the day in a military home or the words of the day are, we're moving. <laughs> Every couple of years, we're moving, we're moving, we're, we're moving on, you know. And that was certainly my life growing up. Uh, I've told you this before. I think most of you know my, my mom was full-blooded Japanese. And they met after the war. It's just a sweet story. They, uh, they were married for over 50 years until my mom passed away in 2010. I'm the youngest of three kids. So there's my oldest sister, seven years older than me, Liz. There's my brother, who's 18 months older than me, Darden, who my son is named after. And then there's the baby of the family, Lloyd. Um, it was an amazing home, truly. And I'm not, I'm not saying it was a great home, But in my home, there was no spiritual direction. There was no biblical guidance, if you you will, in my home. Uh, And yet, you know, I grew up uh, pretty normal. 
uh, I, I, I'll, I'll jump ahead really to high school in these years. I was, a, I was quite a normal high school kid. I mean, if you saw me, you'd, you know, on the outside, everything looked fine. But like every high school kid, on the inside, there's a lot going on. Um, I, I, I could not... I could not articulate this until I was older. And when I say that, I mean until I was in my 30s and now really in my 40s to get clarity on this. But what was going on behind the outward projection of Lloyd, what was going on on the inside, I I lived with a deep sense of anxiety and insecurity. And you go, what teenager doesn't? I know, all of us do. But I would put mine in these three categories. I, I lived with this sense of, I'm defective. There's something wrong with me. It's been wrong since birth. And I'm talking about me physically, emotionally, just there's something, you know, no one knows yourself like you. And I just felt, I believed this thing that said, there's something wrong with me. I'm defective. There's a second thought that, stayed in my soul, and it's this, I'm deficient. I'm missing something. And you go, Lloyd, where do you get this stuff? Where do you get this stuff? Where do we get this stuff? We're in a fallen world, in a fallen body. And I just had this deep sense that I'm defective, I'm deficient. There's something wrong with me. There's something I'm missing. When I say missing, I mean it's something that everyone else has, you see, but I'm just thinking, but I don't. I'm missing that. And where that led for me was this sense to where I have always felt like I'm on the outside looking in. Now, you put that in an 18-year-old body. I mean, this is just, this is the truth, that I always felt like everyone else was in But I didn't, you know, again, defective. I didn't fit in. I didn't have it. Everyone else had it, but I didn't. I'm always on the outside looking in. I was talking to my youngest daughter. In fact, I was showing her my uh, yearbook because, you know, we're going to look look at me when I'm 18. And there's this picture and and, and there's a page where I'm the true gentleman. You know, all these awards. I got the true gentleman award. Wow, you know. And And then there's a page where... I, I totally forgot this. I always remember you. Know, I totally forgot. I, I was best all around. <laughs> wow. I didn't feel best all around at all. I've got a picture of me when I was a senior in high school. I'm going to show you. This is Lloyd in 1978. <laughs> Just a stud. Just, I'm wearing my hair a little different today. The, the part is a lot bigger. I still parted in the middle, but it's a huge part, right? Uh, those are not transitions. Those are not transition glasses. They didn't exist. That's called dark tint to light tint permanently, indoors or outdoors, right? And there's no cotton in that shirt. It didn't exist in 1978. Everything was polyester in that day. You can take that down before someone takes a picture and posts it. Um, that's, that's me in, in 1978. And there's a part where you go, man, it looks like a happy kid. Well, on the outside not on the inside. I was just like every teenager in the room, every one of us have been teenagers that are past it. I did everything I could to fit in, to be liked, to be with my peers and for them to think I was 
cool. You know, every teenager, young person in the room, you understand drugs, sex, alcohol, they've been around a long time. And, and boy, I'm trying all of that to satisfy that hole. Well, when I was a senior, my brother went to Middle Tennessee State University, and while he was there, he became a Christian. So I've got my hero sort of in my life, 18 months in front of me. He became a Christian through a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Crew. But uh, Campus Crusade, he, 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 he trusted Christ. And because I so looked up to him, I mean, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he has changed, you know. But there's this part of me that's going, wow, what's going on with him? And yet I didn't want it because I'm my own man. I got it in my own life, you know, that kind of thing. Somewhere in that year, I found myself sitting in my bedroom, 105 Stone Mountain Road, Clarksville, Tennessee. And I pulled out this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And it's just a little booklet that Dr. Bill Bright wrote, who founded Campus Crusade many, many years ago. Talks about four principles of a relationship with God. Now, what I want you to know is I had read it before. I remember a person doing door-to-door visitation in Clarksville. And I remember this girl reading this this tracked to me nothing happened but on this day I'm in my I don't even know what day I just know it was my senior year I'm in my room and I start reading this booklet and it starts out and says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and it quotes Bible verses that talk about Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly that's the first law the second principle or law said uh, but all of us have sinned and are separated from God that God wants to be with me and that's why I was made, but sin, that I missed the mark. None of us are holy. The sin separates us from God and it said there too, the wages of sin, it's death. So, so if you sin, then you must die. That's the bad news. And then the third principle said, God so loved me that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in my place. Jesus was buried and rose again. And then the fourth law. This fourth principle said, it's not enough to know these things. It's not enough to know that they're true. Every person has to believe that they're true for you. (laughs) That we must individually receive or trust that Jesus did that for me. I cannot explain, but for the grace of God, I believed it. Why then? Because God decided then. But I believed it. I just said, and I have a little prayer in there you can pray, but I I just prayed the prayer. It's this. I, I said, Lord, I do believe. I trust that you did that for me. And in that moment, y'all, my life was changed forever. Yeah. Now, I did not walk out of my bedroom like, no, you know, I didn't walk out of my bedroom like that. I walked out of my bedroom, a sinning saint. I'm not, I'm 18. I mean, I struggle like crazy. I mean, it took time for me to even, you know, it took time for me to even understand what happened to me in that moment. Now, one of the things that I did come to learn over time, and I don't want us to miss this, is that God saved me in that moment. That's the gospel. He rescued me from an eternity apart from him for an eternity with him. With him. 
but that the gospel was not just my passport to heaven. It was not just, okay, now I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to live with God forever. It was my blueprint for life. Now, this didn't come to me immediately, but in time, I began to understand the gospel's not just for then, it's for now. And now I realized as a young person, I'm on the planet for a reason. And I can live every day for the two things that last forever, the word of God, the souls of men, and I have a reason for living life, not just a reason to be happy I'm going to heaven, you see. It changed my world forever. Now, this is where it gets personal. Uh, this walk that changes the world, that it's, it's got to be, it's got to it's got to change me first, you see. And that's what we see in the, in the story in the gospel. Rob taught it last week. We're going to revisit it in Mark's gospel. That's my story, but I want you to once again see these three women and their story, and then we're going to end with your story. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark's gospel. I'm going to Reread what we covered, Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. This is Easter morning. These women take a walk to an empty tomb, and they are never the same. Follow along in your Bibles. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man, that's an angel, as Rob said, an angel sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Period. End of Mark's gospel. After racing through and you read Mark's gospel, it's always, he uses this word immediately, immediately, immediately. It's always this action-packed story. Boom. Verse 8. He's done with four words, for they were afraid. End. Now, I say this, in your Bibles, you probably have verses 9 through 20 in brackets. Maybe you have a footnote. The reason for that is that uh, these, these verses are actually not in the, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts that we have. And it's really not even, it's, it's hardly even disputed that these verses were, were, were added at a later date than Mark's original 
account. And it's not disputed for at least these two reasons. The, the earliest manuscripts don't contain, don't have these verses. And the early church fathers, you know, the, those who wrote very early on about the church, they seem to show no indication of being aware of verses they don't write of or refer to verses 9 through 20. But there's a question it raises, isn't it? Why the abrupt ending? Why does Mark track along? Boom, 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 boom. End. Abrupt. Tense. Unresolved. I think the text itself answers that question. We'll get to it in a moment. I'm going to make two observations about this text. I've got one. I'm not counting in in my two. (laughs) I'm getting an extra. And it's just this one. I, I want you to note, because it's amazing, it's amazing to see that in a day when a woman's testimony was not accepted in the court of law, I mean, that's how you were viewed, ladies, in this day. Your, your word didn't matter. It wasn't trustworthy. It couldn't be accepted in court. In that day, God says, oh, the courts may not accept your word, but I'm entrusting the most important news in the world to you and your word. What an amazing affirmation of every woman in the room, your value to the kingdom and your work in the kingdom. Just a reminder of that. Two observations. One is about Christ's faithfulness. The second is about the nature of our faith. So first, Christ's faithfulness. I'm gonna make a statement on both of these. Here's the statement on the first one. Our failures can never outrun his faithfulness. Just mark this. Our failures can never outrun his faithfulness to us. It's evident in at least three ways. The first is this. The women, as they go to the tomb, they buy spices because what do they expect to find in the tomb? What do they expect to find? A a living body or a dead body? A resurrected body? A a dead body. And so, again, I'm not throwing these people under the bus at all. We'd have done no better. But let me say this. Rob mentioned last week that the fact that they're doing this up in the dark, going at the the rising sun, it's an amazing act of devotion, an amazing act of love. But let us not miss. It's an amazing step of faithlessness. They didn't believe. Again, I'm not hammering them, but don't miss this. They did not believe Jesus would keep his promise. Don't miss this. And so they act on unbelief. Do you see that? There's a second way when you speak of our faithlessness, I think the story describes it, and that's through the men in the story. And you say, Lord, what men? And I'll say, exactly. (laughs) Where are the guys? Where are the guys that he walked with for three years? Where are the men? Where are they? They're back home. Why are they back home? Because they didn't believe Jesus would keep his word. I'm going to rise again. And they acted in unbelief. So I'm saying in this moment, this critical moment, there was faithlessness, right? And then there's a third one, and Mark's the only gospel writer that picks it out. It's that little phrase, and Peter. Rob talked about it last week, and Peter. I want you to look at it maybe in a different way. Um, Go get, you know, the disciples and Peter. In all four gospel accounts, Peter's faithlessness is recorded. 
You know, there's things that happen in the Bible, things that happen to Jesus, and sometimes it's in one gospel account. Maybe it's in two, maybe three. Rarely, there's very few things that are in all four. It's almost like Peter's failure went viral before the internet. Because now they all know I denied him, you see. And so again, I'm, uh, not to throw him under the bus, but just to face the facts that Peter, in a moment, did not believe Jesus would keep his promise, and he acted in unbelief. Now, I don't mean to pile on, but just to make a point. If there, were, if there was a group of people on planet Earth who you, whom you would think would have the benefit needed to believe at the critical moment, to have faith in the critical moments, wouldn't you believe it would be all them? I mean, you think about this. They, they, they were with him for years. They, they slept with him. They ate with him. They, 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 list, they listened to him teach. They smelled his breath. They touched him. He touched them. They walked miles together, do you see? He, they saw him do the miracles. They saw him do the miracles, all of that. And yet in this critical moment, where's their faith? It's almost like all of that stuff being with him, the miracles, the signs, the wonders. It's like it did nothing to engender genuine faith. And it makes me just wonder. I'll tell you, it's, it's the testimony of Scripture, I will say this, that as wonderful as those things are and even necessary as an attestation to who Christ is, it, it didn't engender genuine faith. And I'm saying this because I have done this and contend to do it still, and many of us do. You know, we get in a tough spot in life, and, and our tendency is to go, man, if Jesus would just show up. Have you ever, has him, don't raise your hand. Anybody ever said that? Man, if Jesus would just be there and tell me, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. That's not the way it works. They didn't. And listen, they were with him a lot longer than you would be in that one moment he shows up. And so it raises this question, what engenders faith? I mean, what, what then engenders faith? We're going to get to that in just a moment. Because right now we're talking about our failures can never outrun his faithfulness. I think we've established they failed here in faith pretty significantly. So what's Christ's posture towards those who fail him? What's his posture towards those, can I use this word, ought to know better? What's his posture when we fail? Well, it's, in the, it's the words of the angel when he said, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Can I paraphrase that? You know what his posture is towards you when you fail him? It's gonna be okay. I want you. I'm going ahead of you. I'm always one step in front of you. Take the step, even though you failed, because I want you with me. I want you to be with me. I wanna be with you. I don't care about your failures, your mind. That, you see, that, that's his posture toward all of us who <laughs> just blow it and fail. I'm going to ask you to enter the story. I'm going to ask you to enter the text with me just for a moment. And the way you're going to do it is you're actually going to say your name out loud. Okay? I want you to say your name out loud and to the degree that you believe it vocalize it, okay, this. I'm gonna read verse seven, and when I say, go get the disciples, and I'm gonna go, and Lloyd, okay? But you're gonna enter the story and put your own name there. 
But go tell his disciples and that was a little weak because <laughs> it's hard to believe. Because we really believed it. I think when the deep, deepens in our belief, you know how we say it? And Lloyd! Because that's his posture. He's always saying, come on. I know, come on. I want you. Well, that's the first observation. The second is this. You won't see Jesus until you go to Galilee. You won't see Jesus until you go to Galilee. Now, it's okay to go, what in the world do you mean by that, Lloyd? Let me tell you what I mean. You know, when we're studying historical narrative, which is the literary structure of a gospel, that we got to keep in mind that the author, when they write this way, they will often use geography, a specific place, as the very key to unlock the significance of what he's saying. So you go, well, where did that happen? Oh, now I get it. It was, And I want to suggest that's what's happening here. Because Jesus says, meet me in Galilee. I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. Nazareth, or, or, or Jerusalem, Galilee, this region, you know, about 60 miles to the northeast. So it's not like, I'll meet you next door. It's a three days walk. I meet you in this region, in Galilee, you see. Why Galilee? Now, we cannot be dogmatic. I can't be dogmatic on this. But Mark seems to be saying, and Jesus seems to be saying through Mark, because Galilee is where it all began. Well, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, let me say it another way. Because Galilee is where you first believed. That's where you trusted me and came. That's where you believed. And at, go back to belief, you see. You trusted me. You do that, you'll see me. It's Lloyd sitting in his bedroom in 1978. I just believed it. I think there's an underlying spiritual principle that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Don't turn there, but in Mark 15, 32, Jesus is hanging on the cross. The religious leaders look up at him and they scream at him, let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross that we may see and believe. In other words, okay, 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 come on down. If you do that, then I'll believe. Oh my gosh, this is the whole story of Mark. Do something, then I'll believe. Show me your Messiah, then I'll believe. Do something miraculous, then I'll believe. Oh my, we need to see in order to believe. No, Jesus turns it upside down as he does so much of life, isn't it, Jesus? Just like Jesus, you want to live, die. You want to get you want to hold on to your life? Let it go. You want to lead? Serve everybody. You want to see me? Believe. And you'll see me. 
the order in the Christian life. You remember the story of Thomas. You know, he, he, he went in there when Jesus showed up in the room and said, I'm not believing. Man. No, I, don't, no, I don't believe you guys. I'm only gonna believe him when I see him. And you know the story in John's gospel, he does. Jesus appears, resurrected body, instructs Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand, put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas did believe, but we dare not miss Christ's final word to Thomas. What did he say? Because you have seen me, you have believed. It's a question. Then he says, blessed are those who did not see, yet believed. That's me and you, <laughs> blessed. See, be believe, act on that belief. By the way, that's biblical faith. Biblical faith is not believe. Biblical faith is always believe, act on the belief. Believe, act on the belief. Believe, act on the belief. And as you believe and act, what happens? You see Jesus clearer, more fully in your own life. Now, I want to say this. Uh, Bill, Michael, Rob, and I have, have, have said this and will say this. It's not like believe in it, just, just believe. Blind faith, just believe. And No, no, no. Believe a reasonable eyewitness. Believe the testimony of those who were there. Believe these three women by name. Believe this word, trustworthy. See, it's not just believe anything. Believe what's reasonable, historically verifiable. Believe it. Act on that belief. Well, you've heard my story. We've, we've looked again at these three women and their story. What about your story? Nothing changes till it becomes personal. So if you sit here today and, and you've never believed Jesus died on that cross for your sins, was buried and raised again. What does it mean for it to be personal for you? Well, it means turning from, you know, away, turning from your own way and turning to God and going, I, oh God, I do believe that Jesus died on that cross for my sins. He was buried and raised again. For me, I trust it. You always say, we always try and say this, you know, it's not a prayer that saves you, but prayer just expresses your heart. While I'm speaking right now, if in your mind, in your heart, you believe it, you do understand, you can, you can be born again right now. You believe it. You trust it to be true. And if you do, I, my great encouragement to you is tell somebody. You know, by the way, I walked out of that room when I was 18. I didn't tell anybody. You got to tell somebody so they can help you understand and grow in that relationship. But how about for, for, for most in the room who have believed? You, you know, you, you, you have trusted in Christ. How do we reinforce that belief? This is our so what. I'm gonna invite the band to come out and join me because they are gonna help us in our so what, help, us, help lead us in it. 
And so what we're asking the question, how does, how does this belief so deepen within us? Well, for you and I, the charge is the words of the angel. Here's, here's how it deepens. Go and tell. See, that's for those who've already believed. It's a command. Jesus reinforces it. Go and tell. That's our personal application. Oh, how does that go and tell? How do those truths move from our head to our heart? How do, there's a number of ways it does, but we'll practice this one. The writer of Hebrews tells us an important part of the process when he says this in that familiar verse, chapter 10, verse 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another with love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's, there's something about deepening that go and tell within us and living it there's something happens when we gather and then Paul gets more specific when he says this in Ephesians speaking to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord the book of Ephesians is at its core a book on how to do church and so Paul takes not just gathering you're not just gonna be gathering but hey I want you singing I want you articulating in song these truths I don't know what is it that God would use music to move truth from our head to our hearts I don't know <laughs> but there's something in it and so I'm going to invite you to stand and we will sing these truths uh, we will lift our voices and, and together we're going to proclaim the truth of the gospel we've been called we know that Jesus gave his life in our place. We've got a message. The song will say it this way. I get to raise the banner high. I don't have to. I get to. I get to shout the name of Christ, you see. And may this move from our heads to our hearts, oh my, that we might proclaim it to the world that people, you see, people would be changed forever.